Welcome to National Transport Podcast, episode 13. My name is Alex, and this week's episode we'll be covering Oxford Bus Company withdrawing the X90 service, how two possible bidders are ready for right bus, how the government is preparing for a bus revolution, how bus fares in Cornwall are about to get cheaper, and how Greater Manchester is taking back control of the region's bus network in a groundbreaking move that could cost more than £134 million. And as always, we'll be having Kieran on later in the show to talk about all the news and goings-on in the aviation industry. And as always, you can f- like our Facebook page, National Transport Podcast, or visit our website, bit.ly forward slash NATTP. Right then, let's get on with the show. Oxford Bus Company to withdraw the X90 service in the new year. The X90 run by Oxford Bus Company is due to be withdrawn on the 4th of January 2020. They have long been in a battle with Stagecoach in Oxfordshire's Oxford Tube. The Oxford Bus Company operates the X90 service every 15 minutes at peak times using 8 Plaxton Elite bodied Volvo B11Rs. From October 2018, the service was reduced every 30 minutes, and due to a 40, 35% fall in passenger numbers since 2015, the route is no longer profitable and will be axed in January. The decision has not been taken lightly, and the company will be doing everything possible to minimise the impact on customers and colleagues up to the withdrawal date. Season tickets and 12 trip passes will continue to be valid up until the service stops from January the 4th. Any unused tickets will be eligible for a pro rata refund. It just seems that the, the managing director said he would like to thank everyone who had travelled in the X90 and our colleagues who have worked with us throughout the time. The withdrawal of the service is no reflection on the performance of colleagues and we are grateful to everyone who has travelled on the service. And it would just seem that Stagecoach in Oxfordshire's 24 hour Oxford Tube has just proven to just be a little bit better. I mean, it runs every 12 minutes, every day, 24 hours a day, using Van Hall Astromega TDX21s. So yeah, moving on. Right bus, two bidders at the table for Ballymena Bus Builder. The North Antrim's MP said that he'd hoped a deal could be concluded by the end of next week. They have two bidders, I believe, oh, one from the UK and one from China, I think. Yeah, I've spoken to two bidders, they are in the frame and making serious offers about this company, Mr. Pacey told the, MBC, the BBC Northern Ireland. Yeah, they did not want to build up people's hopes beyond what they need to be, but the offers were serious and he'd hoped that there would be a result in the consumer of a sale. Administrators for the firm are briefing councillors. Mr. Pearsley also said that there's a sizable amount of the £220 million government fund to buy buses will be earmarked for the Northern Ireland Company. He said issues of the ownership of the Wright Bus land is likely to be addressed in any sale. Currently, the land is owned by Jeff Wright, separate to his role in Wright Bus and it's going into administration. Mr. Paisley added that the size of the workforce of the, if the company is rescued will be smaller than the 1,200 who have been laid off next week. And obviously we'll be covering more about that next week when we know a little bit more. Moving on, the government is preparing for a bus revolution. 
New message word announced by the Transport Secretary Grant Shapps. Tra ah. Transport Secretary Grant Shapps announced a major package for new measures to boost buses at the Conservative Party conference on Monday. New low fare high frequency super bus networks, Britain's first all electric bus town, better information for passengers, and contactless payment on every city bus were some of the standout pledges. I'm pretty sure that most British or stagecoach first and go ahead have already rolled out contactless throughout all of their buses. If maybe there's been a few missed, but I'm pretty sure all of them have been done already, so that's one that's already been done. The package, worth 220 million in its first year, will see many cuts to services reversed. It will create express lanes for buses in the West Midlands and elsewhere. Invest in new ways of providing more frequent public transport in the countryside and other places where conventional buses have dwindled or disappeared altogether. And new apps will also be developed that draw together information on bus routes, fares and timetables from different bus operators across England into one place. The government will also commit to the UK's first ever long-term bus strategy and funding settlement, including support for local authorities who want to create London-style franchise services in their areas. Superbus networks will have low fares and there will be more bus priority measures to speed up journeys to make them more reliable. The first Superbus network will be introduced across the county of Cornwall. The fares pilot is part of a project which will improve the quality, frequency and capacity of rail and bus services and create an integrated public transport system for Cornwall. I'm pretty sure we'll be covering that in, in the next, yep, the next article. Buses have a disproportionately used by people on lower incomes, the government says, and Cornwall has been chosen as a county to, with significant deprivation and social exclusion. Speak for that. For many people, the cost and difficulty of travel is a major barrier to getting to work, and the superbus service will connect them with jobs, educations, and evenings out. The announcement reads: Other superbus networks will be rolled out next year, with a focus on places that suffer similar problems, where better public transportation could significantly improve people's lives, and will consider improvements in frequency and bus prioritisation. The package also includes over £20 million for new bus express lanes in the West Midlands to make the buses, which carry more than one, over £1 million per day, faster and more reliable. A third £30 million investment will be paid directly to local authorities in, 20, in tw 2020 and 2021 to help them improve Britain's first all-electric bus town, which will see the entire place, place's city buses change over to wireless electric vehicles. Country buses will be hybrids using electric power within the built-up area and diesel outside. Pollution and operating costs will be dramatically reduced. The location is still being discussed with local authorities and operators will be announced later. The long-term funding package will be announced as part of the 2020 spending review. It will set out plans to support local authorities which want to pursue London-style bus systems in their areas. Greater Manchester is shortly due to a consult on adopting a proposed franchise in the model in 2020. The package will also support other areas of which prefer to pursue other forms of coordination such as voluntary or statutory partnerships with operators. And now moving on to the thing we just spoke about, bus fares in Cornwall are about to get cheaper. Bus fares in Cornwall are about to get cheaper as part of a new pilot project. 
the government is promising to bring down prices in the duchy from May next year. It comes as a public transport in Cornwall received a big boost in the councillor's promise of the 23.5 million funding package over the next four years. This will go towards reduced bus fares pilot a reduced bus fares pilot to support the council's commitment to improving bus and rail for its residents. Cornwall is, be, is the first rural area to be given an opportunity to run, a fun, run and fund a pilot scheme like this one to help bring down the cost of travelling by bus. They forget to, they fail to mention the, uh, the use of the word low income. One of these issues for the residents of the cost is the cost of usage of buses to get around. So we put forward a case to the Department of Transport to help us encourage people to use the buses by reducing bus fares. If more people use the bus, then the plan is that over the four years of the pilot project, the lower cost of fares will become financially sustainable. More journeys by bus means more fares being paid, which means keeping fares down. We know that good public transport is important to our residents to connect communities for work, education and socialisation. Promoting and providing affordable public transport is always important in tackling climate change and getting cars off the road. That's why improving public transport in Cornwall is a priority for this, for this council. We've already seen public transport passenger numbers in the southwest growing faster than anywhere else in the UK. Last year, 19.2 million journeys were made in the public transport in Cornwall. On a side note, first going the way it is, Cornwall is going to be a pretty interesting place considering first has a massive stronghold in the area. be interesting to see what happens there. As part of the pilot, all travel in towns will be capped up to £1 all day, as well as significant reductions for long distance trips which again would be capped at a minimum of £6 a day irrespective of the number of journeys made. Council says it's encouraging more residents to use public transportation rather than using car supports. Using the car supports the council's determination to tackle the, cl the climate change emergency by helping further reduce emission levels. Uh, I think it will be a good thing, actually, to be fair. Having capped fares is something we should probably do here in Plymouth as well, but only time will tell. And then it just uh, goes on about Sarah Newton, MP for Truro and Falmouth. But Cornwall Council signed a devolution deal with the government in 2015 to deliver a cost-effective, customer-focused, integrated public transport system. The resulting One Public Transport System for Cornwall project is delivering upon its objectives to improve public transportation. It has seen the introduction of new buses, improved roadside shelters, bus and rail station, infrastructure and digital timetable information. Cornwall Council is also the first rural authority to introduce contactless payment on buses. The pilot was run with for four years from May 2020. Uh, Cornwall hasn't quite been the same since the uh, loss of Western Greyhound. But anyway, moving on to another thing we've already spoken about. Greater Manchester is set to take control of the Reasons Bus Network in a groundbreaking move costing more than £134 million. The plan is to take control of Greater Manchester's bus network. It is to cost more than £134 million, with devolution spending, town halls and taxpayers currently set to foot the bill. 
Greater Manchester is to push ahead with taking control of the region's bus network in a grounding move that was set to cost more than 134 million. We've mentioned that number three times in the last five seconds. At an extraordinary meeting at the Greater Manchester Combined Authority on October the 7th, leaders are expected to sign off on the first of its kind public consultation for bus franchising. It is a plan long dreamed by the Labour politicians as a pinnacle of, devolu of devolution, but it puts to head to head with private bus companies who have previously hinted they are prepared to launch opposing legal action. Re-regulating the region's buses will see a better deal for passengers with the implication of a London-style service over the next five years, said Deputy Mayor Sir Richard Leslie. Excuse me. Greater Manchester would coordinate the bus network and contract bus companies to run the services, with any profit being reinvested back into the buses. Sir Richard added that residents would benefit from more routes, integrated services and capped fares. It would be the first region to bring back regulation since Margaret Thatcher privatised all bus networks outside of the capital in 1986. Currently, the funding is being budgeted locally, although Mayor Andy Burham has reported to have engaged in positive talks with PM Boris Johnson and Transport Secretary Grant Shapps about the government's contributions. However, it is likely that private bus companies will strongly oppose the plans, as Stagecoach, along with all other, all other 15 bus firms, has previously condemned the move towards franchising. Sir Richard said, one of the things that bus companies have said previously is that franchising was going to cost a small fortune, and yes, it's going to be expensive and implementing, but nothing like the cost that they were predicting. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure private bus companies are willing to give up their profits though, to be fair. The uh, cost of transitioning to re regulated services from now until 2024-25 is an estimated at 134.5 million. A further 11 million is already accounted for the for this year's mayoral preset rise, and 50 and 5 million more is expected to be brought into through business rates. But each of the 10 local authorities will have to contribute a one-off payment totaling 17.8 million, around 1.7 million each if split equally across the boroughs. This leaves 22.7 million of funding yet to be found. Office, officers say that it could be raised for a further increase in the mayoral receipt, adding up to an £18.20 rise for average residents over the five years, or £14.20 for band B. Hmm. People are never happy when they raise taxes. If approved, public consultation will start October the 14th and run through to January the 8th, 2008. And that is all from me today. As always, thank you for listening for the, my part of the segment. I will hand you over to Kieran with the latest and greatest aviation news and stories. So, see you all next week. Alright, well, hi again, guys. Um, welcome back to the next edition of the Aviation Podcast for National Transportation now, um, I'm going to drive straight in today because uh, there is quite a lot to get through. Uh, it has been quite a busy week in the week of aviation. Okay, so without further ado, let's jump into uh, what's been going on in the world of aviation this week. Um, first of all, we're going to start with a bit of a tra bit of tragic news. Um, 
out of um, Bradley, uh, Bradley, just outside, uh, out of Bradley International Airport, just outside of Hartford, Connecticut, in the U.S., um, with a plane crash actually from a, um, a Boeing B-17 uh, vintage World War II era plane, bombing plane. Um, not actually sure as of when this podcast goes out. I'm not actually sure why the plane was flying. Um, I believe it's air show season is over in the US, so it, I don't believe it was going to an air show. It might have been f- been ferried back to storage. Um, anyway, basically, um, one of the this plane crashed um, and erupted into fire upon landing uh, at Bradley International Airport, just outside of Hartford, Hartford Connecticut. Um, apparently, um, apparently, uh, with there were victims as well. There were uh, sadly deaths as a result of this as well. I'm unsure on how many deaths there are at the minute. I believe in the region of four or five. Uh, there were 13 people in total on board the plane. Uh, there was two pilots, one attendant, and ten passengers. Um, however, as well, um, another person on the ground was injured as well when the plane slid off the runway and slammed into a building um, on the airport. Um, on the uh, sorry, uh, slammed into a building on the airport's premises. So um, apparently, the story behind this, um, as much as been released and as much as I've found out at the moment, is uh, the flight originally took off from uh, from the same airport, uh, from yes, from the same airport, from uh, Bradley International in Connecticut, uh, around 9:45 a.m. local time, um, and then five minutes after taking off. Uh, there was a report back to air traffic control that they were having difficulties, um, unspecified difficulties at this point, um, that just they were having difficulties. Um, apparently, according to the um, aviation, according to the executive director of the Connecticut Aviation uh, Airport Authority, Kevin Dillon, um, was said apparently um, them and uh, we being them and uh, the ATC people observed that the airport, uh, the aircraft was not gaining altitude so it seems uh, upon first first call that uh, first impressions that the difficulties they were having was the plane wasn't climbing for some reason um, the plane did then uh, initiate a return back to the airport uh, where sadly like I said it did crash at 9.54am local time um, like I said, there were 13 people on board, unsure as to the number of casualties at the minute, as they are still being identified by the National Transportation Safety Board, I believe, who are conducting the um, investigation into the crash. However, I th- believe um, there are four or five or six victims at the moment out of the 13 that were on board. Um, a couple of eyewitness accounts for this, um, apparently... Um, that there were uh, one one uh, witness who was quite close um, called uh, Brian Har- who to the name of Brian Harmer uh, Brian Hamer sorry um, apparently reported that, that he saw smoke coming from the back of the aircraft and heard one engine splutter so it appears that there were engine troubles um, which would equate with the um, with the um, director of the airport, executive director of the airport authority, uh, Kevin Dillon's um, statement that uh, the aircraft was observed to not being 
able to climb or gain altitude. So unfortunately a bit of sad news uh, to start the podcast on today but that's definitely um, the the main story that's um, been going on uh, at the minute. It wasn't, uh, it was only um, a couple of days ago, it was only on the 2nd of October that that happened. Uh, very tragic for all involved unfortunately. Um, thoughts with the families of the uh, of the victims um however the other that this uh, story does have a w- double whammy of sadness to it and that is among the um the vintage air the vintage aviation industry as well unfortunately did involve a vintage aircraft um world war ii era b-17 bombing aircraft and unfortunately that does um that does reduce the number of um current airworthy um uh, surviving B-17 flying fortresses to nine in the world. Uh, so a very sad story on all counts there. Right, and then uh, next on the agenda, going from the rather tragic to the really rather amusing, actually, and really light-hearted story, uh, is that Istanbul's new airport, which opened a few months ago, uh, has um, the latest recruits. Uh, to its staff at the airport of the robot variety. Um, this is the news this week that um, robots have joined the staff at Istanbul's new airport. Um, Istanbul's new airport obviously did open a while ago. Uh, it does currently only have one terminal at the moment. However, that terminal is fairly large. It does uh, cover 1.4 million square kilometres. Uh, so obviously, for some people, clearly uh, navigating that is quite a daunting task, and will require a helping hand. This is definitely the uh, view of the um, executive board behind Istanbul's airport. Uh, so, uh, as a result, they have recruited four robots um, to work on the task of helping people navigate around the airport and giving general assistance. Um, apparently, according to Business Traveller. Passengers will be able to approach the robots and then scan their tickets uh, on a barcode reader embedded in the robot somewhere uh, in order to see their flight status and then um, view other flight information in England. Uh, view other flight information. The robots will also, which I think is quite cool personally, will be able to give directions to the gate of the aircraft uh, if there is one available, which I think is actually really fun and really cool and really quite light-hearted. Um, it almost makes me want to go to Istanbul Airport just to be able to do that and get directions to my gate by a, ro- a humanoid robot. Uh, how many how many times can you say you can do that? Um, moving on, also uh, the other thing is to note that the information, the robots are bilingual robots. They are able to communicate in English as well as Turkish. Um... They aren't the first robots uh, out in the world in the uh, travel experience. There is another robot uh, called Pepper, which uh, is not in the world of aviation, however, is in the world of travel. Uh, Pepper provides advice and assistance to Eurostar passengers at London St Pancras at the moment. Uh, Two Pepper Pepper robots also process passengers coming back to aviation at Taipei's International Airport at the moment. Um... And also, just a just a side anecdote. In 2015, while we're talking about robots helping uh, the travel industry, the Henna Hotel in Nagasaki, in uh, Japan, became the first uh, hotel to be exclusively run by robots. Um, apparently, however, 
on a on a rather amusing note, though. Um, reportedly, reports are that uh, <laughs> the Hennar Hotel had to fire half of its non-sentient robot staff earlier this year after the experience failed to reduce costs of workloads for or workload for employees. Uh, so that's that's the um, probably one of the more that probably wraps up one of the more light-hearted um, stories in the world of aviation this week. Now on to uh, the next straight out of one uh, topic and straight into another topic. This is actually a topic um, that I touched on last week. It's actually a follow-on from last week. Um, I mentioned that the um, the airline, the Eastern European airline Adria Airways. Um, were starting to get into financial difficulty and starting to cancel their flights. Well, unfortunately, as predi- as I predicted last week, uh, unfortunately this week, Adria did also file for bankruptcy, um, ending uh, ending another a lo- another long running airline. Unfortunately, uh, airlines airlines around this year, for various reasons, um, do start to go into. We do you do see a couple of airlines at least go into administration every year around this time um, due to a number of uh, contributing factors. Um, okay, so that's unfortunately I don't have any more information on that. Um, obviously, just uh, it is what it is really, Adriated Airways. I've uh, been running for quite a long time actually. They uh, have been running for 58 years, uh, quite a long time. They uh, started their f- they started uh, up their business on March the 14th, 1961. So uh, unfortunately, yeah, like I said, they have been a long-running airline. Um, while we're sticking with the topic of airlines going into administration, actually, in what has been an absolutely dreadful week for aviation, um, a couple of other airlines have also gone into administration this week. Um, Yes, a couple of uh, other airlines have gone into aviation. Uh, sorry, have gone into um, have gone into administration this week uh, with uh, XL Airways. Uh, two to the two other airlines uh, being French carriers, one being XL Airways and the other one being Algiers Al- Azure. Uh, Algiers Azure being the second biggest airline in France behind their flag carrier Air France obviously so uh, again very sad news in the world of uh, European of, uh, aviation uh, and airlines specific uh, European airlines specifically right uh, moving on to I think the second from last topic this week yep a um, little bit of difficulty over the week um, with uh, well, actually, a couple of uh, couple of um, stories actually related to the seven three seven Boeing seven three seven next generation, not the Max, the next generation, next generation being the one uh, the generation before the Max. So this covers the seven three seven eight hundred, seven three seven seven hundred, seven three seven eight hundred, and seven three seven nine hundred. Um, an airworthiness directive has been issued in the uh, US by the Federal Aviation Administration this week um, as there have been reports that they have found unusually premature cracking in certain um, in certain elements and parts of the aircraft uh, premature being that they um, have found them much earlier in their life than they expected with around 35,000 flight hours on the airframes um, also, uh, so, um, therefore, an airworthiness directive has been issued, 
which is that um, all planes have to be inspected before they are allowed to fly. So essentially, um, all 737 Next Generations are grounded in the US uh, while um, until they are checked over for this issue. That's what an airworthiness directive is by the, uh, by the, by the FAA. Um, they don't issue them very often. Um, the, the last one I remember, the last major one I remember them um, issuing was for the MD11, the McDonnell Douglas MD11, many, many, many years ago now. Um, it's not all bad news, however. This shouldn't cause much disruption. Uh, they are usually done. They are usually done fairly quickly, obviously, because. It's a nationwide grounding, and um, obviously, with the 737 Max is already being grounded, um, it will cripple airline flight schedules while they are um, while they are grounded. So they try to turn that around as fast as possible. Um, move, moving on, but kind of still sticking with the um, issues with the 737 in, uh, Next Generation. Um, a 737-800 series aircraft this week flying for United Airlines. Uh, conducting flight uh, with a registration number of N27239, conducting flight uh, United 293 from Denver to Orlando, um, did did get into some difficulties throughout the flight. Um, the engine cowling, that is the metal shroud that covers the engine, um, did actually become s- not entirely separated from the plane, but did come separated from the plane on one side. And uh, obviously, due to the airflow at uh, 400 miles an hour cruising speed, was actually bent up around the side of the air, around the side of the, um, around the side of the um, engine, and up onto the wing. I believe it was the left-hand engine. Um, the flight did, however, continue safely and uh, make a, an emergency landing. Um, Safely. Um, also, uh, come, so now coming on to the final piece of aviation news this week. Um, Monday, last Monday, there uh, being Monday the thirtieth of November, saw the 59th anniversary of Dubai International Airport. Um, Dubai International Airport, obviously opening on the thirtieth of March, nineteen. Um, Sorry, the um, uh, yes, Dubai Airport, uh, uh, Dubai International Airport. Sorry, um, opened on the thirtieth of um, October, nineteen sixty, uh, fifty-nine years ago, um, last Monday. So, uh, happy birthday to um, Dubai International, and uh, we're going to be running for many, many years into the future, and here's to many, many years. Of operation into the future. Well, uh, that's I think that sums up a rather busy week in aviation this week. Actually, uh, certainly the busiest been for a while, uh, especially since starting this podcast as well. Um, so yeah, once again, uh, thank you very much to uh, everyone out there in podcast land uh, listening to me uh, waffle on about planes. Uh, it is much appreciated. Um, yeah, so yeah, jolly good, uh, and uh, look forward to uh, doing the next week. Please, uh, please uh, do 
look out for me and uh, tune into my podcast next week where I'm sure I'll have more aviation news uh, from the past seven days uh, next week from next week's um, week in aviation I'm sure whether it'll be as busy as this week I'm not sure however I'm sure uh, there will be some things of of note so yeah once again thank you for listening Um, also we are starting to set up a patron channel uh, for all you listeners Um, we are still in the construction phase of that at the moment Um, but once we uh, I'm sure either myself or um, uh, myself or Alex will um, make you aware of that in the podcast once we actually get it up and uh, set up and running with everything uh, working properly for you all so yeah once again uh, thanks from uh, on behalf of myself and on behalf of National Transportation Podcasts for listening and tuning into this podcast this week and um, look forward to hearing you uh, look forward to you all listening to me next week Uh, Take care until then.